You were listening to From So Ready to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 163. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From So Ready to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. Hello, hello, hello. How is everybody doing out there? I am super pumped, super excited. I had an amazing week last week getting into the Tennessee Certified Peer Recovery Specialist Training. We're going to absolutely dive into that. That is going to be the main theme of this episode. Um, A little bit of updates. I know I missed an episode last week, and really I, I have noticed that there's been an inconsistency to the shows coming out over the last six months as I have been transitioning from Los Angeles to Huntsville, and I'm really, really looking forward to that uh, coming to a conclusion and me being a lot more consistent. Uh, One of my first steps in doing that will be shooting um, a handful of episodes um, today so that I can have some over the next month leading into my 46th birthday, which is June 15th, because I am in the process of uh, moving my girlfriend from Los Angeles to Huntsville. We signed a lease on a house last week. It was uh, a lot going on with the, the peer recovery specialist training on top of tons of text messages and emails. And, and I must have looked at 30 different houses and it was just as absolutely exhausting and exhilarating at the same time because I have not ever signed a lease and lived in my own house. Uh, all the houses I've ever lived in have been somebody else's houses that I was in. Even as a child, obviously, I didn't own that house. And then when I went off to college, um, you know, while we may have rented a house in college, it's not the same thing as, you know, living as an, I'm using air quotes here, adult, getting my own house. So it's quite exhilarating, you know, setting up uh, utilities for the first time under my name and just a lot of cool stuff that looking back on, I understand there's certainly people in addiction who have accomplished these things. I don't think that they don't. But for me, I look back at my 20s and 30s, and it was just such a whirlwind of moving around or just, you know, living in Hollywood like I did at that house on Cahuenga, you know, overlooking the park. And, you know, that was, it was, you know, yes, um, I rented, you know, I was, I had one of the rooms, but it wasn't the same. Like the energy around it isn't the same as I'm feeling now. And there's all these little life, these, these like little life milestones. That's probably the best way I could say it. The life milestones that while other people have achieved, I have yet to even the idea like of buying a house next year and, and being a part of that process. I've never done that before. So all these amazing life moments are happening around me. And and I'm so excited to be um, moving Jen out here and starting a life with her in here in Huntsville and really getting myself situated I've been out here for over 170 days, and it feels like I just got here yesterday. Time has flown by, and I think it's because I haven't been grounded in my own space, and I'm very much looking forward to that. So that was a huge milestone last week on top of going through the CPRS training. And so for those of you who have grown accustomed to seeing social media with me in the pink bedroom, that will soon be gone, and there will be no more pink bedroom videos. (laughs) My niece can now have her bedroom back. <laughs> so she lives with her mom down the street, but she certainly likes to come over and visit her nan and pop and be able to have her pink bedroom. So I will relinquish the pink bedroom and she will now be able to come back over and visit her nan and pop and have her own space in their house again. So 
it's a joyous week for everybody. I leave for Los Angeles tomorrow, and so begins the journey of driving across the country with another car. <laughs> and so that's super exciting. I want to dive into what I experienced last week because so many of you all reach out to me once you have achieved your sobriety, you've begun to work into your addiction recovery, and you look for ways to help as well, right? And I get it. I totally get it. You know, after two years, I felt so compelled to jump back in and and start helping people because I had learned neuro-linguistic programming and CBT and tapping and all these other things that had helped me um, start to heal my own traumas. And we talk about how your traumas are not your fault, but healing them is your responsibility. And so a term I learned over the week, last week going through this training was trauma-informed, which is just a, a basic idea that if you go into these situations of helping others heal, realizing that everybody has faced, has experienced some level of trauma in their life. Now, what that is, that's, I mean, that's infinite, right? For some people, it might be something as simple as their parents hovered too much, were always around them, were over controlling, didn't let them have their own space. For others, it could be, you know, mommy and daddy were on the sidelines at the sports game, but weren't really paying attention. So they kept yelling, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, look, look, and mommy and daddy never looked and they felt ignored. Go back to the six human needs. Any one of those six human needs that wasn't fulfilled as a child could become a trauma, right? We're talking about possibility here, not necessarily probability. So what's important to note is while you might have one where you were physically abused very, very horribly in a way that we would never, never want any human to experience. That is your trauma. Somebody else's trauma could be substantially lighter. It could be emotional or mental or spiritual, something much more simple in your eyes. You might think, well, you didn't experience trauma the way I did, but we're not, this isn't a competition on who was treated worse or who had the worst childhood. What we, under, what we understand about the human mind is it takes in all of the information through its five senses and it compartmentalizes it because the unconscious mind can handle infinitely more, not infinitely, 2.3 million bits compared to 126 of the conscious mind. So whatever your conscious mind was able to hold on to, congratulations, that's what you naturally remember. The unconscious mind is this vast trove of information that it, that it can consistently and constantly take in more. So what you remember of your childhood, what you've deleted, distorted, and generalized, what you've filtered out based on your own way of filtering things is your way, just like I have my way, and everybody has their way. So releasing this idea that trauma somehow is some sort of competition, and we're trying to figure out who had the worst childhood, when you go into it realizing that everybody has experienced some level of trauma, you become trauma-informed. You realize that You just don't know what you don't know. And the other person may not even really understand their triggers, their activations, their cues for their trauma. But we can at least feel pretty confident and comfortable in knowing when we are having a vulnerable, connective moment with somebody else in in our community, and hell, anyone's community, right? It doesn't have to be somebody in addiction recovery. It could be anybody you come across. They are going to have some level of trauma that they are either seeking to heal through or would like to be able to heal through if they even understood that it was affecting them. So that was one of the cool things that came out of the CPRS training. And so when I got into it with this idea that it was just going to help me volunteer and be more involved 
in the community. And I didn't necessarily realize all of the implications, all of the different ways that this training was being done and like what I could do with it. So I want to run this through with you guys because so many of you, back to what I originally started to say, have asked me, how can you become involved? How can you do something like I'm doing? May not be a podcast, but some way where you could coach or, or, or counsel or be a, be a sponsor, whatever it might be. And up until I took this training, I didn't realize that this was an absolute way for you to get real life training and how to be a peer support specialist for people in recovery. It's absolutely phenomenal. How I never came across this in California uh, is beyond me because I definitely have done my fair share of Googling about this stuff. And so, again, stumbled upon it in all of my phone calls to addiction recovery places and was just amazed by the professionalism and the organizational structure and the training that was involved. So before I get too deep into what I began to learn through the Tennessee Certified Peer Recovery Specialist Program. Heretofore, we're going to use the acronym that they do, CPRS, Certified Peer Recovery Specialist. Um, I would say that if this is something that as you listen to this or you already know you are interested in becoming a Certified Peer Recovery Specialist, again, moving forward, CPRS, if you're interested in becoming a CPRS, I would just recommend that you take the name of your state, put it into Google, you know, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, California, Maine, whatever, and then just type in certified peer recovery specialist after it. And this will this will show you if your state has a CPRS program. Now, Alabama does not use the same title as Tennessee does, but certainly if you go in and you type in Alabama CPRS, their program shows up. So if this is something that you're interested in doing, I would recommend you go Google that because at least here with Tennessee and Alabama, it's paid for by grants. So this training is free. Now, I know sometimes we can not respect free, right? And therefore, we, you know, we take advantage of the situation. So if you're going to get into this, go into it knowing that somebody out there has paid for you to be involved in this training. And it's uber important that you take it seriously and that you step into it knowing that this is going to prepare you to go into addiction recovery facilities or whatever it might be and immediately be able to be someone that could get hired and paid real money to go be a part of the addiction recovery world, which to me is, I mean, I'm just absolutely amazed. This is just so, it just speaks volumes for how much addiction recovery clearly is something that people are paying so much more attention. So let's look over the manual. And I'm just going to do some brief highlights of some of the stuff that's in here because I've taken hundreds, if not thousands of hours of different certification trainings to make sure that you know I am able to do what it is I do. And this has been, it's next level because of some of the topics we, we talk about. Very much the CPRS is trained to ask very um, open-ended, informed questions to get the peer, the person in addiction recovery, we call them peer in, in the CPRS program, to get the peer to be able to seek out the answers for themselves. It's not a position that's guided by the idea of giving them answers, giving them advice. It's very much about uh, being someone that can help support them in a way where they understand that they have the resources inside themselves to figure this out 
we just are the conduit for them to open up that box and realize that the strength and the power and the divinity has been in them all the time. And that's one of the cool things, because obviously as someone who's been trained as a coach and speaker and, and everything else, we are absolutely trained to make sure that we're not just sitting there being an advice machine. We, we understand that there's a time and a place to share our stories, but that the other person really needs to be heard. And so let's look over this table of contents real fast. I mean, one of the cool things is they, they go over the history of, of uh, mental illness and substance use disorder. There's a whole section on that. It really dives into, of course, what is the CPRS and being able to very clearly define what your role is. Right, because we we aren't certified as counselors, we're not therapists, we we don't have psychology degrees, we can't, you know, we're not those level of people. This is really like your entryway into the addiction recovery world, right? To be able to go inside a treatment center and get an actual job that could pay you. And I've actually had a phone conversation with a woman who works at a um, facility in Nashville that helps women who have been in prison. Um, come back in and reintegrate into society. And she was a CPRS, and they were actually paying for her LILAC education, which is uh, to become an alcohol and drug uh, rehabilitation like counselor, like actually going to college and getting a degree and being able to go up to the next level. So this is absolutely a beautiful entryway into this. And sorry, I've got the dog trying to play with me at the same time that I'm trying to shoot this. And it's just like, it's, it's a little distracting. <laughs> so if you hear any barking, that is absolutely what is happening. Uh, a really awesome um, section that we got, we goes over values. It discusses how different people have different things that they value in life and how we don't want to judge other people for what it is that they value. Some people might value the dog trying to play at their feet while they're doing things. Oh, isn't this adorable? I, however, find it slightly a bit annoying because I'm really trying to focus here. <laughs> so other people might value not eating meat, and other people might value eating meat. Some people might value working really hard while somebody else values relaxation and spending time with their family. It it doesn't matter what somebody else's values are because, as we've said on this show before, we do not judge right or wrong. We seek to understand at a deeper and more connective level because every human has what they have gone through and it's valid. It's valid because it's their experience and everybody's experience is valid. We don't know what has happened in order to create their world and so it's a beautiful thing when we have an opportunity to sit in a room and really communicate with someone and understand what it is they value. And go back to the six human needs episode, what people value is their unconscious motivational drivers. That's, that's what's going to be driving them. So if somebody values spending time with their family and their family happens to drink a lot, then that's a conversation to be had. Also, it goes into communication and how to actively listen. We're going to actually do an entire episode of that. With this communication, um, active listening, being able to reflect upon feelings, listening for content, listening for emotions, listening for meanings that are coming around, having this awareness of nonverbal uh, communication, how the physiology, how the body language is telling you a story how somebody's tonality tells you well, where they're at in their in their emotional spectrum as they are going through this meeting with you. 
Um, it's uh, you know how to summarize and paraphrase in a powerful way. I mean, the different communication techniques that they teach in this course are so powerful. And I go back and I've said this before. This is this is stuff that I mean, I feel like teaching kids algebra in eighth grade. Well, I'm sure some people are going to be super pumped about that because their career could lead them to wanting that somewhere in their life. Most times, why aren't we teaching people how to communicate more effectively with other humans, right? When a teacher says, okay, kids, focus up, we never really tell kids what focusing up means, right? So what we're doing in this CPRS course is really teaching us like how to just be like connective humans. And somewhere along the lines, that doesn't seem like it ever made its way into actual the education. And this is beautiful because so many of us, we get into these moments of communicating with other peers, whether it's in meetings or wherever it might be, and we might want to slide right into sharing. You know, Somebody might say, oh man, I had this bad thing happen to me. And then you could go right into, oh my goodness, I know exactly what you mean. That happened to me last week and this is what happened. And before you know it, you've told your story for five minutes, but this person came to you seeking guidance, seeking a, a, an open ear, and you spent a majority of the time telling them your stories. I certainly noticed this in me when I first started coaching. I thought sharing my stories of overcoming my stuff was going to help them see how they could also do it instead of asking them questions and listening for meanings and feeling their emotions and then guiding them to an outcome and knowing when the right time was to share my story, but also creating more space for theirs. We're taught in coaching that you should be um, listening 80% of the time and only speaking 20% of the time. I can assure you back in the day, that was not my case. I have been working a lot on that, and over the last year, definitely have gotten better. Through this CPRS training, I see it way, way, way different now, and I'm already noticing a change in how I coach and how I speak and how I talk with people. It's phenomenal. There's a whole section on stigma. We're going to do an an actual episode on stigma because it's not just how institutions or society might stigmatize those of us in addiction recovery. It's how we're actually stigmatizing ourselves how the language that we use is actually painting us into a box, into a corner, saying this is who I am and this is who I always will be. But that's just not true. The past, a lot of people say the past is a great indicator of of your present abilities and what you will do in the future. And I will say that the past is a great teacher of what I was capable of and, and how I did behave. But today is a new day. Today is an absolute awesome opportunity for me to make a new choice. So if each day provides us this opportunity to make a new choice, then I can look back at the past and say, okay, that's how I did behave. That's how, that's how I did do things, but I don't want to do it that way anymore. So today I'm going to choose new. I'm going to make a new choice. So the past is just that. It, it, it is a history of how we used to do things, of what used to happen. Some people will say, well, it's a great indicator of what could happen now. If a a quarterback always throws interceptions every time he gets blitzed by four people, then just blitz him by four people all the time, and eventually he'll throw an interception, right? Unless that quarterback has spent hours and hours and hours practicing how to handle the stress of four people barreling down on him, and next thing you know, he realizes he's got three wide-open wide receivers because those four people coming at him with gusto aren't back there covering those people. That can be you too. You can just learn new behaviors, 
create new habits. And now your past is just that. It, it, is, it is a lesson that you can go back and learn from, but it is not an indicator of who you are today. The unfortunate part is that the language that we use will stigmatize ourselves and almost direct our minds to think we are only capable of what we used to be capable of. And that is just not true. So we're going to dive into stigmas and we're going to really unearth that and give you guys some great examples for how you will be able to notice how you're stigmatizing yourself, how you're stigmatizing others, how the institutions that you either uh, would like to be a part of or have been a part of could also be stigmatizing because it's then you're in within your capacity to go inside of these institutions and guide them to uh, use more powerful possibility-based language. There's motivational interviewing that really talks about uh, being able to ask questions and listen and not offer advice. And it was amazing, amazing watching all of us in this training going from people who just shotgun reaction is to start giving advice when somebody brings a problem to us or a solution opportunity into by the end of the week, we're all very much into active listening and, um, you know, good question, open-ended question asking that guides the peer to to uncover their own answers. Because look, 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 hear me out on this. And I'm sure you have felt it in your life. When somebody tells you what to do, but it's not really what you want to do, then there's going to be a pushback in your unconscious mind. Being like, I don't want to do that. Like we're all kids inside of our heads. We don't want to be told what to do. And this is absolutely still happening in your life now. So if you ever committed to something and said yes to something, but you didn't really want to do it, or it's the person who asked you to do something, didn't really connect it to your unconscious motivators, then there's a good chance that you may have followed through with it once or twice, but eventually it just sort of ebbs and flows and and just fades away from your life. But if you decide that you want to take up jump roping because it means a ton to you, and you've connected your needs to it, then you'll continue to do it and you'll continue to prioritize the time for it. So if I sit here and tell you this is what you should do and there's any level of pushback, you don't want to be told what to do or you've tried it before or it doesn't sound fun, then there's a very good chance that no matter how excited you are about something now, eventually that fades away. Inspiration has an expiration date. But if I can inspire you to connect it to your unconscious motivators, your six human needs, then you will motivate yourself to continue to do it. Inspiration is external. It comes from someone else. It can come from something you see, some other person you know, a place that you visit. But motivation is internal. That's why I don't call myself a motivational speaker. I've said this before, because I cannot motivate you to get up off the couch, stop eating donuts in your underwear, watching The Simpsons. I can inspire you to see what is possible, but I cannot motivate you to do anything. You motivate yourself. There's, a, there's cultural responsiveness. Obviously, we're people in addiction recovery, we, we're, we're all shapes and sizes and colors and religions. And so we all come from various backgrounds. We talk about that in the CPRS training. Problem solving, conflict resolution, ethics, a whole section on ethics and boundaries. And I think that's extremely important and something that I've taken on with myself in this show to realize that ethically, I cannot go off and call myself a therapist. I cannot tell you guys that I have, um, you know, history and certifications that I don't have. I can certainly cannot sit here and tell you that my it's my way or the highway. Ethically, I cannot do that because I do realize that there are infinite ways to addiction recovery. 
That's one of the reasons why I'm pretty sure it was episode like two, three, four. It was, it was about the many pathways to recovery. And those of you who've stuck around for 160 some odd episodes are, are absolutely those that are open-minded and realize that it's not just AA, it's not just 12 steps, it's not just Dharma, Refuge, or SMART, that there's so many different pathways. And it's all about what is it that connects with you so that you can consistently continue to do it. And there's ethics that are involved in being a peer support specialist. There's ethics involved in being a sponsor. There's ethics involved in all of it. Now, are you aware of it? Are you stepping into the ethical side of it and making sure that you're mindful of, of your role in somebody else's recovery? That's extremely important. And CPRS does a great job of making sure they cover it. We've got a whole section on trauma-informed care, co-occurring disorders, opiate use, because obviously the opiate you know, crisis is just it's running rampant through our society, especially our rural areas, where we used to think it was just the cities that had to face drug issues. We absolutely are having a calamity out here in the country about this, too. Whole sections on how to be a group facilitator, wellness, self-care. I mean, the whole thing. It is absolutely phenomenal. I'm going to be bringing out certain sections of this and talking about this for weeks and weeks to come, and I can't wait to go through Alabama's. I've even thought about doing Georgia's too down the line because that state is close enough as well. But right now, Tennessee's border is literally like a half an hour away. And uh, I go to Chattanooga and Nashville frequently. So I'm looking forward to being involved there. And obviously, I live in Alabama. So this is going to be a breeze to um, be involved in the different various programs that are here. And what's cool is once you're through the first phase, the training phase, then the next phase is going in and getting in 75 hours at a facility in order to complete phase two. And so I can't wait. And I'm going to walk you guys through my journey as I experience it. I'll bring back whatever information I can ethically share with you. And I'm super excited about that. So if you are interested in becoming a certified peer recovery specialist, a CPRS in your state, again, Go on Google, type in your name of your state, and then type in Certified Peer Recovery Specialist, CPRS. It is phenomenal. I cannot begin to just express how awesome it was. This is the first time I've actually taken very specific training to be someone to support and help those in addiction recovery. NLP and everything else I've done, the public speaking, all that was geared towards just however you wanted to help. This was very geared toward those actually in a sobriety and addiction recovery. It's absolutely amazing. Um, obviously, I can't teach directly out of the manual, but I absolutely can can pull out some really good parts and turn those into conversation topics, and we're going to be doing that moving forward. As always, if there's anything else I can help to support you with, hit me up on Instagram. I'm always on there. I've been having great conversations with some people on there in various stages. Not everybody who listens to this show is absolutely in sobriety and recovery right now. There's a lot of you that are sober curious that are listening now, and you're in the contemplation stage. You're in that contemplation of what life could be like it, you know, embracing a life of sobriety and recovery. And I can promise you, when you finally take that step and it clicks for you, then it's going to be amazing. It, life is infinitely better when you wake up every single day sober. If there's a reason why I invented that, that quote, and I will continue to say it to my last breath. 
So if you have any other questions, please hit me up on Instagram, send me over an email. Uh, obviously, I would love to have you in the tribe, jessemogul.com forward slash the hub. I would love you to have you in the Wise Mind Empowerment and Recovery Tribe. So please, if that is something you're interested in for the cost of a value meal at a fast food restaurant or a couple cups of coffee, you could absolutely be in the tribe. I've got amazing online resources for you that I have created as well as starting up around midsummer. We're going to start doing regular meetings online. It's phenomenal. So anything other than that, we're out for today. Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow every day is absolutely the best day of my life. And it can absolutely be the best day of your life when we wake up sober. Shout out to sunshine and glow on. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 